Good evening, everybody. Good evening. It's good to see everybody. This evening, if you would open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. First four verses of 2 Timothy. In the last several months, um, I've spent some time thinking and praying about what eldership means and what does it mean to, to be an elder? What does an elder do? Um, and this passage tonight that we'll look at helped me, real, helped me think through some of the fundamentals of what an elder is and what the role is. One of the questions I wanted, an I wanted to answer was why, why preaching? Why does somebody stand here um, on a week-by-week -week basis and speak God's word out aloud to people and explain it. And then on, on the flip side, why do people sit all facing one direction week by week, listening to one person speak again week by week? What's the, what's the purpose um, and why are we doing that? There's a lot of people who have argued and posed some arguments against preaching. It's disengaging, it's not appealing, um, it's outdated, so why are we doing this? Shouldn't, could we find some other replacements to make this a little bit more interesting? Now, um, of course, you know, I know the, the crowd I'm speaking to, your answer to all those rhetorical questions, of course not, you know, preaching is important. Um, but I wanna look at, look to God's word tonight and try to answer that, that question. Why do we preach and why, why are we listening tonight? So as we, as we approach this passage, some background, Paul, is writing to his protege Timothy, his almost his son who is perhaps actually younger than him. He spent his life pouring into, into Timothy. And in this letter, it is his last opportunity to reach Timothy. He's in jail, he's in prison in Rome. And if you read in the passage, it says, I'm, my life, my, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. So he, Timothy realizes this might be the last time he has an, a live opportunity to write a, a note to Timothy. So with that being said, what is the last thing he wants to say? What is the thing of most strong importance he wants to communicate from the book of 2 Timothy, in that letter? Um, in this, we see the, a baton is being passed. I'm passing on the Olympic, the, the torch, so to speak. This is my final thing. I want you to do this. So, and of course, you know, what we're, when we want, we're gonna look at preaching as part of this passing on to it from, from Paul to Timothy. So let's, let's read um, Paul's words in verse one. 2 Timothy chapter four, verse one. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So tonight I wanna to consider this blessing of preaching, God's blessing of preaching with three observations of what Paul has to say. So three observations from the text. The first, God's plan of preaching. Secondly, the centrality of preaching. And then third and lastly, the rejection of sound, the rejection of sound preaching. So God's plan of preaching, the centrality of preaching, 
and then the rejection of preaching. Okay, so firstly, God's, God's plan of preaching. Um, this idea that preaching should be part of our corporate worship, our gathering as a body, well, th this, is, this is God's plan. Um, it is, in the text, there's not a remote or inkling that this could be a um, human artifact, um, a thing of human ingenuity to create, where someone stands and talks to a, a crowd of people on a week-by-week -week -week basis. If you hear how strong this charge is, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. Preaching is God's plan and, and not, not man's. And if it, if it were man's plan, if you were to play out that, that thought and that argument, you could well say, well, we can adapt this preaching thing to whatever we want to, to suit, our, suit our needs. We could change its content. We could change how we do it. Um, we could substitute preaching with something else. We could eliminate it. Um, some say, well, if it's an artifact of tradition that we do this every single week, um, and that's the only reason why we're doing it, we're just, this is just man's plan and we just can't rock the boat. As some might say, you know, we're just being ultra conservative, holding on to old traditions. But it's quite the contrary, because you see in this passage, um, preaching derives itself from God and accountability to God who's gonna show up. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who's to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Any alterations to this, you know, we should carefully examine if we're going to deviate from God's plan of preaching. Um, and so we're not, the reason why we preach is not because we are strong ties to tradition and we have resist change, but really because God, but Jesus is returning to see what he has done, what we have done with this charge to preach. So the primary consequence of, of this design um, is that the preacher is held accountable to preach God's word. You can't, if you're a teacher, if you're a student, you can't expect your teacher to assign something and then not follow up and grade it. Um, or you can't expect a police officer to say, obey the traffic signal and then not, not give you a, a ticket for running a red light. Um, this idea that accountability is a biblically derived idea. Um, and Jesus says that, Tim, Paul says that Jesus is gonna hold Timothy accountable to do this very thing, preach. And he has the authority to, to judge evaluate Timothy. And in fact, being dead, if Timothy were even dead, that doesn't even excuse Timothy at all, because it says Jesus is going to judge the living and the dead. So elders, alert. Jesus is going to measure you um, on your faithfulness, whether the word was preached. And I know our elders teach because they delight and teach because they have joy in doing it, but it's also wholly acceptable to preach because it is, um, the motivation is we have an accountability to give to Jesus who's going to return. So pray for our pastors, pray for our elders and those who fill this pulpit and, and this lectern. Pray that court would be faithful and ready, preaching the word in season and out of season. Pray that court would be, would preach with patience, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, Pray the same for all of our elders who, who will answer to King Jesus and whatever huge responsibility they carry when they have to carry out God's plan of preaching. And pray that they carry it out with joy as well. Um, so preaching also has implications not just for the person standing behind the pulpit, but also for the people who are on the other side, and that's the, those who are listening. Um, when uh, we list out 
the reasons and the, the good things about coming to church to worship on a Sunday morning, our primary motivation is that preaching is God's plan, and that is what drives us um, to be faithful in attendance here. There's a lot of reasons to show up to church on Sunday, um, such as fellowshipping, singing, praying, eating at the fellowship meal, playing. Um, and we, we definitely should not dismiss these because these are all God's blessings to us. But a primary motivation is because this is God's ordained worship. God has ordained that worship means I will, my, uh, who I am will be spoken out amongst you. And we'll see that later on in our, in our second point tonight. Um, so as an illustration, I want my boys to come to church um, and delight in it. I want them to come and enjoy playing here at church and having memories of that. Um, I want them to delight in eating Miss Liz's candy someday and going to the nursery. Um, but I don't want them to be motivated by this forever. I mean, can you imagine a 30-year-old who comes to church for the dum-dums? It's kind of like a hyperbole, um, but it illustrates where our, our motives are, right? Um, my prayer is for my sons that they would come to love um, and come to love to come under God's, God's word, and God's, uh, God's preached word. And my prayer is that we would all come each week um, motivated to submit ourselves to the preaching, preaching of God's word. So whose plan is it? It's God's plan for preaching, and he calls the pa our pastors and elders to adhere to it and for our, us as listeners to submit, submit to this plan. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is the judge of the living and the dead, preach the word. All right, so the second observation um, is the centrality of preaching. The, the centrality of preaching. Um, as we look at this passage, the central word in all of it is preach. Preach the word. That's like the core of this passage. Um, but before we talk about it as a core and the centrality of it, let's just talk what is what is the content of preaching? How is it supposed to be done? Some of the, um, the what's and the how's of preaching. Um, it says, preach the word in verse 2. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I'll jump to the conclusion. You know, Timothy is expected to preach the Bible. I'm not, that's obvious. But it says, preach the word. How do we know that the word means the Bible? Um, the Bible does not ever say the Bible in all of the Bible. Um, so when, when Paul says preach the word, the word doesn't mean a literal W-O-R-D, like some magic word that Timothy needs to repeat again and again and again, like a word, literal, grammatical word. It is, uh, has a larger connotation of the idea of logos. So have, has anyone ever heard, have you ever heard anyone say, um, can I have a word with you? or um, you have my word, or I have a word to share. All these ideas don't literally entail a grammatical word, but the context of a message, right? Um, so if you say, I have a, can I have a word with you? Usually uh, you have a private message to deliver to somebody or someone's in trouble, right? Um, or I have a word to share is I have some, a message to share to a large group of, of people. Um, or you have my word, it's the promise that I have spoken I will keep. So when we say preach the word, it's preached a message. 
And this, I, this word logos, which is used in the text, is used elsewhere in scripture to refer to God's um, decrees, God's utterances, God's words. Um, and so, therefore, we know that what he's referring to is he's asking Timothy to preach the, at that time, the Old Testament, preach the word. Um, now, what about the New Testament? Um, we see that Paul equates his, his own words equal to that of the Old Testament. Um, and the, we see also, actually, other parts of Scripture, other New Testament writers um, conferring the same um, level of authority. Um, so Paul elevates his own words to the level of Old Testament. So I, I'll just read a few of those texts from this, from this book, from 2 Timothy. Um, chapter 2, verse 2, What you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men. Chapter 3, verse 10, follow my teaching. Chapter 1, verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me. And all these, he's commanding my teaching and also follow scriptures, the teaching of scripture as, as equal to one another. So Timothy is supposed to preach Old Testament and Paul, New Testament. And we, likewise, are supposed to preach the Bible and the, whole, and the entirety of it, Old and New Testament. So the direction is clear for our elders, preach the Bible, and we listeners should expect the Bible, and we should have a high standard um, to have that expectation preached to us every, every Sunday. Now Paul's um, exhortation, or Paul's charge to preach, also includes do's and don'ts. Do's and don'ts. So verse 2 says, reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. These are boundaries and also direction for us as how to live. Uh, reproving and rebuking, rebuking would be don'ts, do not cross this line. Um, and ex the exhorting would imply a go do. So the preaching tells us what to stop doing and what to continue, continue doing. Um, and lastly, preaching um, should be done patiently along with the do's and don'ts. Um, the listeners will need to be taught multiple times before they get it and before there's fruit in their lives. Um, if the sheep could hear something once and get it, Timothy would not be charged to have patience in preaching. So I'm reminded by, my, by the need for patience in, in just training my own children. Um, Jesse loves food, and you can just see from his body that you know, he is bigger than brother, and he loves to eat. And when he wants food, his first mode of communication was this grunt, this grunt, screech combination. And so Esther and I have been trying to teach him sign language for more and more. And so it seemed like several weeks before anything ever happened, where he finally got it. And now he initiates to say more when he wants more food rather than screech and grunt. And so there's weeks that went by before he got it. So there's, there's a, a simple illustration, but there's patience required for someone to get it. It doesn't happen quickly, and we, I'm sure we all understand that concept. Um, and so this is a, a rather a trivial illustration, but um, we can apply that to our, to our own, own selves as well. Um, so also as a listener of God's word, um, do you ever feel like you're hearing the same message again and again? been here and heard that. It's not because church is intended to be 
tedious or boring or monotonous. It's because repetition is part of God's good design to hear it again and again. Um, on a less trivial example, in Detroit um, this past Sunday when, where we were um, going to church, um, the preaching of God's word reproved and rebuked my trust in financial security, my trust in money. My heart and my mind are slow, so this sermon gave me some pause to repent, but I know that um, temptation and sin will come back in my life, um, but being under preaching will rebuke me again and again, and there'll be opportunities to repent and be rebuked and repent again and again, and each time um, in that process, I'm brought closer to trust Christ more and more fully. Um, but it certainly takes a level of patience by the preacher to say the same thing again and again to Jonathan Pan about where to put his trust, right? So elders preach patiently to us, um, even if we don't heed it the first time. Listeners expect to hear God's word repeated to you again and again. Um, so the central charge is to preach, preach the Bible, preach the do's, preach the don'ts, preach patiently. So now we've discussed some of what the what and how of preaching. I want to focus our attention to the centrality of preaching. The centrality. This is central to God's plan and central to our, our worship um, because this is God's mode of revealing himself to his people. This is the primary mode of God revealing himself. Um, remember, this is last charge. The one last thing that Paul wants to say to Timothy is preach. So why is it so important? Why would that be your last? If we look through the Old Testament, um, we can kind of we can understand why you know historical context um, of the Old Testament makes this so central to our to our corporate worship. Um, if you remember the, our Bible memory from the Ten Commandments, the first three verses, um, I, you don't have to turn here, but we'll talk through what happens at the at the giving of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses 1 through 3. God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, up to this point, in the children of Israel, the Hebrew people, God had done amazing things. He had split the Red Sea. He had delivered them from Pharaoh. He had, um, he had performed ten... Um, uh, ten plagues to, on the Egyptians. He had provided manna, provided water from a rock. Um, he had given them victory over the Amalekites. So it was the, the children of Israel have experienced a lot from God, but God yet had not quite revealed himself, who he was, how and how he, how he is um, to be worshipped. And so while <clears throat> God, while they're in the uh, wilderness of Mount Sinai, God chooses to reveal himself on this mountain on Mount Sinai, and there's thunder, there's lightning, thick clouds, a trumpet blast, and from 12 chapters between Exodus 20 and Exodus 31, God is explaining to Moses who he is and what he is, um, and, and who he is and how we are to live, with the expectation that Moses is going to descend from the Mount of Sinai and communicate what he just heard to all of the people. And so as you 
uh, as you know, at, after this um, 12 verses, God gives to Moses uh, the, 12, the, the Ten Commandments on two tablets of stone. Um, it says, in ver 31 verse 18 says, God gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. So God reveals himself to Moses, gives him two stone tablets, asks him to go down. And you know the story how it, how it progresses. Chapter 32, Moses descends and he finds the people, the ignorance of the people, essentially um, breaking the commands that were simultaneously given. They're worshiping a calf that God had just commanded um, not to. And of course, at this point, they had not heard it, right? So this is the pattern of, of and model that God has for us to reveal who he is. God charges a single speaker to deliver the revelation about himself to people who know nothing about him. A single speaker to deliver the revelation about himself to, to his people. And this oratorical pattern of explaining God repeated, is repeated throughout the Old Testament. We see it repeated through um, the New Testament and with Jesus preaching the synagogues. So it's not a one-time thing, but we see it repeatedly, repeated in history. Um, I'm thankful for Pleasant Ridge that upholds the primacy of preaching and teaching. I'm thankful for our elders who prioritize explaining God's word. Um, but the centrality of preaching is, is not um, a guideline and call for our elders only. It's a call to us as a body and a congregation to receive preaching as well. Um, Sundays are, are feast days. Um, a spiritual feast days, and what's the main course but the preaching? It's a lot of competing things on Sunday that um, can really drown out the preaching of, of, on a Sunday. It's like going to a barbecue and filling up an entire plate of chips with no ribs, or like going to um, a fine restaurant and filling up yourself on all that bread, and then when the main course comes, you just have no appetite for it, right? Upholding the preaching, primacy of preaching, um, means setting aside the things that potentially could, could distract and focusing on the main course. And I think there are so many practical ways, um, so many practical ways to live this out. Um, so just a, a, a list of, of ways that we can uphold the primacy of preaching on Sundays. Um, as much as you're able, listen in person to, in preaching um, versus recordings or, or live live feeds. Um, don't be distracted by your phone, by hunger, or what's for lunch. And if you are, I'm not suggesting you can pack a picnic, but you can fix that with a little bit of planning um, you know, to ameliorate the distraction of hunger. Um, come to church rested and mentally, mentally ready. Um, my college pastor always said, Sunday morning begins on a Sunday. Sunday morning begins on a Saturday night. Um, Serve in nursery um, to benefit your brothers and sisters so they can put, um, they can focus on, on preaching. Um, show your children how to submit to preaching in church and show them how you listen. Talk with your family about what was preached. Um, follow along in your Bible um, as, as the word is preached. Um, talk to your fellow brothers and sisters about what was, what's preached in the sermon. Did you disagree with what we heard? Was it encouraging or discouraging? I think I'm so encouraged by someone who said, 
counterintuitively, I was so encouraged by someone who said, I don't think I agreed with that, but I'm going to go home and think about that. And later on, we had a follow-up discussion about what we, what we thought about the sermon after a week of, of digesting and um, mulling over what was preached. And it really challenged me to live up to the message and to, to engage with God's Word. So I hope you can see how God places a priority um, on both the pulpit um, and the pews and prioritizing this in your own life because this is, this is God's design for preaching to be central. So I, pre I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Now God's, this is first God's plan of preaching, and second, this is the centrality of preaching. Third, and lastly, in our observations tonight, um, I want to discuss the rejection of sound preaching. The rejection of sound preaching. Um, so, Paul notes here that people will eventually not endure sound teaching. And this idea here, he says, and the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Endure sound teaching. I think that sounds like the worst kind of compliment I could ever give someone who's preaching. I'm enduring your preaching. But this idea um, is not a comment about how entertaining or how engaging someone's preaching is, um, but it, it's a spiritual discipline. It's a spiritual discipline by the listeners, and it's a good, good thing. And the idea connotes forbearance or perseverance, despite the truth being spoken to you and spoken over you. Um, earlier I gave the, the illustration of Jesse trying to sign more. And if you imagine him as a teenager learning to sign this, at some point he could just say, forget you mom, forget you dad, I don't want this anymore. I don't want to sign, I'm just going to grunt and screech for more food. Um, and this would be his failure um, to, to, to endure mom and dad's sound teaching. Um, to endure is to listen to instructing instruction again and again, and it's, it's hard work by the receiving, by the those who are re receiving the teaching, especially when teaching goes against your very sin nature to sit under it. So imagine this conflict in your mind's eye. Sound teaching says turn away from sin and trust Jesus, but the heart says I love sin, I don't need Jesus. This conflict goes on again, week after week, Sunday after Sunday. Sunday after Sunday, there's this conflict between the heart and what the teaching says. And ultimately, there are two paths that result from it. One path, um, a listener endures. And Sunday after Sunday, he heeds the teaching. Um, he later sins, but again, he repents and returns to that same teaching. He heeds it, um, and then he fails again. And sermon by sermon, he's challenged to be holier. But there's a second listener who internalizes the teaching, who tolerates it but doesn't heed it. Um, and Sunday by Sunday, um, he's, he finally reaches a point where he can't take it anymore. He can't endure it. And as a result of his lack of endurance, he seeks another teaching that will condone and affirm his own fleshly desires rather than tell him no. Um, 
And he has, at this point, met his threshold for endurance. So when he turns away from sound teaching, um, where does he go? Um, he goes and finds teaching, um, instead, of, instead of reproving and rebuking sin, he finds teaching that condones his sin. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. There's a teacher who says that instead of repenting of sin, I should celebrate it. Um, and this teacher says that instead of condemning sin, um, I should rejoice in it. Instead of using my shame to turn to Jesus, I should change my shame into pride. In fact, this teacher says I should name the month of June and call it Pride Month. Um, there's another teacher who says that I shouldn't feel guilty about taking the life of another, especially if they're just a blob of cells. This teacher says that instead of cherishing people, I should discard them as needed, and that every child should be a wanted child. It's morally wrong to bring him into the world because I have my own life to fulfill. There's another teacher who says, it's okay to spend time on yourself. Um, this teacher says, instead of dying to myself and sacrificing myself for others, I need a little me time. And this teacher says, the energy to help other people doesn't come from God. The energy to, to help other people comes by recharging, rejuvenating, and pampering myself. And this teacher says, don't forget to hashtag self-care. Interesting enough, there are multiple teachers, um, not just a single teacher. However, all these teachers have, have one thing in common. Um, they suit the passions of the adherents. Um, people have been rejecting people from Adam. Um, the Israelites, the Jews, they've always been rejecting. But Paul says that there's going to be a fulfillment in which a, a fuller rejection of the truth will come. As he says, there will come a time. So where does, where does your heart stand regarding truth? Just because we're bodily present doesn't mean we're enduring the truth. Um, and each of us must examine whether we're enduring um, and faithfully submitting ourselves. Um, otherwise, the consequence is you will go find someone who agrees with your sin. Someone who says your emotions are justified and that you should, you should feel this way, or you should feel that way. And failing, failing to endure doesn't necessarily mean that you're gonna up and walk away like a prodigal and, be, and say, forget you, mom, forget you, God. It's wandering one myth away, wandering one truth to one myth away at a time. It says in verse four, they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So check your heart regard, with regard to the preached word. So verse 3 and verse 4. The time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So recall um, God's blessing of, of preaching. This is God's plan. It's central. And there's a warning um, for rejecting sound teaching. We're here because God wants to reveal himself to us, to his people. There are many ways um, to know God through his word. Um, 
that preaching is his ordained way for us as a body to learn who he is. It's so much more than, than sitting here and learning about God. It's about having God, the truth of God, spoken over us and his, his decrees washed over us. God's truth poured over us time and time again, and each time sanctifying God's church. And it's not that sitting here in the flesh makes you holier, um, but the interaction within our hearts makes us holier and holier. And since preaching is God's means of speaking to us, um, let's uphold and be thankful for the primacy of the preached word. Uh, I'm thankful for elders who make a provision to preach um, and teach from this pulpit faithfully. Um, I'm thankful we hear God's word and we hear it patiently. Um, so a charge to our elders, continue preaching the word faithfully. As a congregation, we can also um, uphold the primacy of the preached word um, by honoring the place God has for it in the life of our congregation. Um, it's an opportunity for us to see Jesus, the incarnate word, together. We can't see Jesus, we can't feel him, um, we cannot hear his, hear his voice, um, but we can hear him preached to us, and together, as a, as a congregation, we can respond. So lay aside the things that compete for our attention for, for Jesus, and let's encourage, be encouraged um, to encourage one another to worship him by receiving the word preached. Um, make a provision for yourself. Um, make a provision for yourself to receive him. Uh, make a provision for your children to receive him through the preached word. Um, make a provision to encourage your brothers and sisters um, to receive him. Um, and each Sunday is an opportunity for us all to receive Jesus as, as preached and we can nourish one another doing so. <coughs> so I charge you, in the presence of God, preach the word. Let's pray. <coughs> God, we feel the, um, the weight of your plan. It's great, and the responsibility um, to submit ourselves as listeners and to fill the pulpit with the preaching, the sound of your word is a great responsibility. Lord, I pray you would make us as a church faithful. Individually, Lord, I pray you will work in our hearts to uphold your word, the goodness of it, the truth of it in our own hearts, and consequently as a, as a church body together. Lord, I pray you would work in our lives so that we could see you, the preached, the incarnate word, more clearly. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.